Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. And we're a couple of Canadian guys who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. And we're excited that you're along for the ride with us. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope to bring you interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the space. On this episode, we're joined by Tio, aka the Arcane Bear. Tio is a visionary with a fire that burns to manifest positive change in the world via technology. His vision is focused on blockchain technology and the potential it has to spread wealth, provide transparency, improve trust, and most importantly, give power back to the people. The Arcane Bear services focus on helping individuals learn to trade and invest in crypto, as well as effectively market and advertise within the space. You can find Tio in a dense area of green deep in Costa Rica in a residence he calls the Bear Cave. Tio, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to be here. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little jealous. I wish my residence was called something cool like the Bear Cave. But for viewers who maybe aren't familiar with you, can you tell a little bit about this kind of self-sufficient living space that you've set up? Um, you know, it was an ex it, just an experiment, I guess. My interest in when I, when I was younger was always around plants. Um, I, as you can see by some of the instruments behind me, I'm, I'm into music as well. So I spent a lot of my time sitting outside playing music. And Costa Rica is one of these countries where I can sit outside almost all of the year and I don't have to dress up and bundle up warm. I'm, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, up in North in Canada where there's a big chunk of the year. You can't just sit outside and play music. So part of the, my, like why I moved here was just something simple. Like I wanted it to be warm enough where I could play music all the time and not have to worry about how cold it was outside. Tio, I've uh, I've seen some of the instruments you play. Uh, you know, I, I follow you on YouTube, and uh, I don't know what they are. At least some of them. <laughs> You've got some unique looking instruments. Um, so the, we've got uh, the standard guitar. This one is like a, a Jim Bush, and this is a remake of an oud. Yeah, so see, I don't know what that one is. The oud. <laughs> Yeah, it's an Arabic instrument. Um, they've got, normally got a big teardrop shape. They're fretless. Both of these are fretless instruments. Um, you know, there's a lot of patterns in music. Like I, st I studied most of my younger life um, for, for music and, and rhythm specifically. Actually, there's a drum kit over to that side you can't see. Um, and one of the things I think that was, you know, about this investing, this trading game, and even crypto in general, because it's some type of, uh, cryptography you're looking for patterns and sometimes they're almost indiscernible patterns ones that are difficult to detect right some patterns are so long uh, in like in in some of the indian theory you're talking about 128 notes in a melody before the cycle completes itself and you start back at at one or something like this and um a lot of the times you know, what I was interested in studying earlier, how I stumbled in, you know, I kind of stumbled into this space by accident before we started the call. We were talking about the first time 
I bought Bitcoin was with uh, an, an older business associate of, 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 our, of ours. And we were using it just to buy servers because we would get a 50% discount. You know, I, I sent you guys a link earlier. We have a, like a bear token, an arcane bear token. And you can use that. Um, so part, you know, rewards and token essentially. So I give it away to the community. They can use it for discounted memberships on our website to buy clothing, any, any of this stuff. They can use it to book uh, consultations with me for a 30% discount. So it's, a di it's like a reward token effectively. So if you want to pay for something, you can use the bear token instead and you get a discount. And it's actually the first reason why we bought Bitcoin is because we were getting a discount on the services that we were using. So like, okay, great. We got to pay for like 20 servers right now but hey it's half price if we use this crazy internet money might as well might as well try that out so you know we go through the arduous process of trying to figure out I it doesn't make any sense to me I, I i hadn't grasped that there was a valuable technology when we first when we first touched it because you know we had paypal we had credit cards at that time I'm like, i didn't understand the the complexity of what was going on that didn't happen until later so i guess you know to kind of segue this idea about patterns the next time i bought into Bitcoin again. It was like I, I was living in Central America, I in a like a in, an indigenous town called called uh, in, in Lake Lake Atitlan. Um, anyways, walking down the street, I saw this like Bitcoin card and it's a postcard basically, and it's got the flower of life behind it, all these hippie symbols and stuff, you know. And uh, when it that's when it really clicked to me what it represented, not from a tech level because I still didn't. I mean, I still don't understand it from a tech technical level. I'm not. I'm, tr I'm trying to keep up and learn some things, but it was never really my forte. But from a conceptual level, uh, the ability to kind of pick your own money, uh, money that was not made by a government. You know, a lot of people get into arguments, oh, well, what Bitcoin's not worth, it's not backed by anything. You know, value in it itself is, at least outside of survival, it seems to be a hallucination, right? Because you've got Basquiat's paintings, a fantastic artist from the 1980s and, and relatively recently too, which is also an interesting part. There's not that much age to his artwork, yet it's worth an, an enormous amount after he's passed away. So the scarcity of his artwork has put $100 million plus price tags on some of these paintings effectively. And when we're looking at scarcity and value, it, it, it is a type of a hallucination because the evaluation of these things has to do with one person's ability to want to buy it and one person's ability to want to sell it, the, what we call like a demand and supply effectively. Part of understanding the value of what Bitcoin was, because even again, even today, I couldn't understand it technically. It was that that choice of my of my own money that wasn't backed by any particular government. Um, and even though you know, this seems like such a simple sales pitch, right? Like, where's the va where's the value? What's my what's my personal hallucination in this thing, right? Because there, you know, there's the argument that money could be anything. That in the past we've used things like shells, we've used cacao seeds here in Costa uh, Costa Rica for the Mayan culture because they had such a reverence of chocolate, etc. And part of the question becomes, okay. If we're using it like basically a token of gratitude to represent this value and throughout time, this value has always changed. What we're, what we're doing is communicating value of some degree or another. Now, we can do this in a bunch of different ways. You know, the abstraction, I've, you save someone's life if like drowning. They generally don't give you money. They would give you something uh, tangible like a, 
uh, a token of something that represented more to them than money because money kind of always has this cheapish value to it because it's you can get lucky in life and you can make a lot of money and it has absolutely nothing to do with your competence or your conscientiousness or, or anything it can be totally random it, it has nothing to do with who you are sometimes the universe can be totally random and because of that money's always had this kind of um, thinness to it. I think the way we hold the value. So that's when I bought Bitcoin again was around, I think it was like $900 Canadian. So it would have been $700, $800 um, American. And I was in Guatemala and I, and I was buying the hype. So this was the first time that A, I recognized the, the value of what Bitcoin represented to me um, as like a choose your own money storybook type thing. It's like, hey, it's like you can use the internet money that we're, we're, we're building together. I'm like, I like this. This is a great concept. Um, that's when uh, the, the secondary hype of the bull market going from $90 from when we were first buying it for servers to this 10 times its price value. And I bought at the top. And this is actually when most average people start to, like most retail investing enters at the very last, like 25 to 35% of the up cycle, because they're like, uh, they start to have something called FOMO, the fear of missing out. It's, it's at 20 grand, it's going to 100 grand. And it probably, it's going to, I agree with this, how long it takes to get there, the stability and the volatility that goes in between these points. So most of the time, that's like the first learning lesson. It's like you bought at a top and you have to ride out the bottom and understand, okay, was I correct? Did I interpret the value of what this investment was even though I got the timing wrong. Because you know, a big part of the problem is retail will buy at the top and then they'll misunderstand that they were actually right. And they were think that they were wrong because that dollar value is so thin. It's not, it doesn't hold a real bearing in life. It's, a, it, it's an intangible. So it, it changes effectively. It'll fluctuate. And the volatility in that can fluctuate drastically depending on how people are feeling. It's actually like, the, you know, the more you do technical analysis and you understand, I think what it's for as an investor is you're just trying to measure the market sentiment so you can make educated decisions on are we euphoric are we or are we fearful right now because that's a great indicator of should you be buying or should you be distributing or accumulating or distributing your your shares into a market so boom it comes down to $200 i get upset right this is when i'm like okay that's it i'm not just buying randomly anymore i'm like i'm going to study i started learning uh, on the i mean the internet is such a fantastic resource for, but like okay i'm learning technical analysis right and when you start to build i think like this archway of, of investing or trading, because they're the same thing, right? To invest, you have to buy um, and sell. Uh, technically, all great investors are buying and selling. They're buying into bottoms and selling into tops. And in fact, some of the world's best use quantitative buying, which is just, okay, we're going to create systems that buy and sell on trends. And, and the most successful funds are, are people that trade frequently, but that's not people, it's computers because the computers can overwrite and say, screw what the human would normally do. Because the, right now the markets have spent a hundred years getting really good at the exact opposite of what the human would do. So that there are people that really win this game ultimately. Like, right, you, one person has a sandwich and then one person loses a sandwich, the other person gains that sandwich. It's like kind of how the market world works of supply and demand. And the trade-offs of, are you in the market for that price markup or are you out of the market for the price uh, distribution effect. So I started studying because I didn't, I knew I was right, but I, I knew I just got the timing wrong. So um, I went through, I, I tried options and I bought like marijuana stocks for a little bit. Like I tried, I tried doing a bunch of silly things. Like I bought gold, silver, 
Um, and these are all, I think, valuable parts of a, like the learning process, right? Because we're building this archway to try to understand when, when all the pieces fit together and it's a, like a toolkit that you can use, like in the investing in the trading world. Because it's not, it's not just about one asset per se. I mean, theoretically, Zoom did, has done twice as good as Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin's done almost 400% this, since the bottom of the, the spring in March, which we call the beginning of the bull markets, the peak fear, effectively. Um, so... I, Bitcoin starts to bottom bottom route around two hundred four dollars. I forget about it because I'm practicing other things and like oh you know shiny gold whatever you know just looking practicing, um, and then it hits four hundred dollars again five hundred and then I st I started to see what was a big cup and handle, and and now that I've become even more practiced, still far from knowing much, but. Um, I started to see what's known as an accumulation cycle. So at that moment, I didn't know it, but an accumulation cycle has these movements within a trading range that become very visible. And they're usually very long-term because that's where most people that buy at the top of the thousand will either sell or they'll stick around for the rest of the ride. And whether through they lost it or they forgot about it, or they knew they, were, they knew that they were right. It was just timing. Um, so this accumulation range is, starts to form and I see that I see this cup and handle starting to form. Like, oh, this is we're up at five or six hundred bucks. I'm like, we hit this, we do that first spike down, we hit a thousand back down to like maybe six hundred. And by that point, I um I was I had I had sold. I was like, I'm just putting stuff in. I sold a bunch of stuff. You know, when you go in that moment, you're like you're trying to get rid of things to just have extra capital to get in. I'm, I don't. I don't. I, I you know some. Some people sell everything to go in on Bitcoin at, at times like this. And I think th this is such an asymmetric bet that if you're going to bet on it anyways, it doesn't really matter if you go all in. The upside potential is so dramatic here. So I get, you know, if I were to kind of short story this uh, to, to get to where we are now, that that transition between the 400 and 600 and when I had spent a few years studying technical analysis, investing, I know what liquid supplies are, I know that supply and demand works. We've got things like moving averages. It becomes more complex, like Fibonacci and Elliott waves, which are all, which you know, I think fascinating too, because you're looking at the relationship of mathematics to human nature within the universe. It's not, it's got a very um, kind of conscious aspect to the markets. So I, you know, during the process, I, I kind of fell in love with, with trading and investing. Um, and, and the, the arcane bear was kind of born out of this idea I'm talking about, you know, I'm, I, I grow things like pineapples here in the jungle, but, um, my journey through learning because there's so often there's so little data about something, uh, that, it's really easy to go in and reshare a view. Like on YouTube, people do reactions to reaction videos of the <laughs> video, right? Like we've gone super meta. And I think what's what's important about the conversation is that, um, you know, the, even though Bitcoin is provides a really unique aspect of what we call decentralization or and deflation itself, technology is inherently deflationary and inherently um, well, we it decentralized to some degree. Like we could argue, consciousness kind of functions like that too. Um, everything is remembering everything else. Like uh, the leftover of a stream is how it remembers that there was a, a river there once or something. You know, the the change through time is remembered um, by the other things that are part of the process. And the blockchain functions kind of similarly to this in the way it stores the information of um, what's what's taking place, like the ledgers. So I always saw that 
I always thought that there was this unique relationship between where technology is going, right? So the fact that I could record a YouTube video with my cell phone in the middle of the jungle and upload it to YouTube and have, you know, a few thousand people watch the video that used to cost millions of dollars to produce, like to be like, oh, there's a camera and an audience and a distribution channel. Those, that was all very expensive. So there's been a huge deflationary moment over the last 10 years where what we can do for how much it costs and how many people can enter this game is deflationary and inherently decentralized. Like YouTube is decentralized, even though they've got a central point of control, it's still part of the I think the story of decentralization, because anyone can do it pretty much as long as you play by the rules, I guess it's always a little <laughs> indicative of problems, you know, who's to say what the rules are, there's some vagueness in that, but, you know, at least from the, the base of the internet, these deflationary and um, decentralized movements um, are, are all happening. It's not just in uh, finance, I think it's in the, in the tech space in, in general. Tesla is another great representation of this. Zoom, you know, these are all inherently deflationary moments in, in history because now, no, we don't need to fly to business conferences anymore. I, I guess the point of this that I was trying to make is that the other really big sentiment as, as we started to break out the second time was the inherently deflationary aspect, right? So the first one, I think, was the value sell of this is decentralized. You know, no one owns it. It wasn't started by a government. It runs basically off mathematics and code. And I can choose to buy into that money on my own choice. It's a hundred percent voluntary on my own on my own behalf. Um, and then the second big key seller was the deflationary aspect that this is this the supply is fixed. If you lose it, it's gone. So again, inherently deflationary. There's some arguments around proof of work. I, I, this is maybe a bit more complex than some people, because um, and I'm jumping around here, but th those were the two big value cells. So by the time we had gone, we had gone from buying it f just to get half price to buying it again at the most expensive it had been at like the worst wrong time, but still getting it right was the the, the re learning of, of a new value add, which was the research in, into the uh, pretty much the rest of the story. Uh, um, so there's no easy way to, to sell someone on investing in something so abstract because of how it's going to be like, we're in one of the easiest times right now. Like all the big hedge funds are buying in. Like it's, it's silly not to own Bitcoin now to some degree, just because the, the demand is going to become so strong. Now, I think one of the fun parts is there's the rest of the ecosystem that's really overlooked right now. Like I, I've been studying more about Ethereum and I'm fascinated by Ethereum right now. Just this whole wave of technology is bringing such a again a big potential to the to the individual and for the species to collaborate together you know we see we've seen a bunch of iterations like we had ICOs and we've had we have got decentralized finance but these all ultimately work for the betterment of, of banking and finance and you know even though it, it's probably not we're, we're not close to mass adoption yet we're, we're on our we're well on our way for technology to inevitably change these things no matter what happens. So I think 
if even if you remove Bitcoin, if you're not investing, like if you're not practicing even trading, again, and trading is just more maybe a shorter what people view as a shorter form of investing, right? Trading would be like, oh, I'm buying and then I'm selling. Investing is like, oh, I'm buying and then I'm just gonna never sell. Maybe like that's what they say. You're like, oh, hodl. Neither of which makes sense to me personally. I don't think too short of a time frame is smart, and I don't think too long of a time frame is necessarily all that smart either, especially because there's still so much volatility in, in the ecosystem to come. Like we, we haven't hit a stability. If we hit a stability, yeah, then you can just, you can just sit on assets. But for now, the downside volatility and upside volatility is part of the fun. It's still an asymmetric bet. It still has an infinite room for upside. So that means if it goes to $360,000, it could come careening back down to forty dollars or $50,000 afterwards creating and then going through another 1200 day period of accumulation before it goes up to maybe a million, right? There's, there's reason to believe that these digital collector's items, effectively extremely secure digital collector's items that you can transfer anywhere around the world. There's some utility to these collector's items. Um, but the, you know, effectively it's what it kind of represents is digital scarcity. You said you bought in at uh, 900, which was a high at the time. Was that like 23? 14 or 2013 around there so the downside for me is if you ask me the date i won't remember yeah. because at this period of my life you have to remember i'm taking a fair amount of things like ayahuasca and psychedelic mushrooms <laughs> i just see when i look back i just see a rainbow of color i'm like ah it's, we were around 900 bucks and i think it was around two, like the end of 2012 2000 at start of 2013 yeah. it was um or maybe it was the end of 2013 start of 2014 i the date I, I wouldn't remember what do you see that's different this time around so you invested or you mentioned that there's some big money investing in the space um you know it's had eight years since you originally got in to start maturing and that type of thing how do you see it being different this time around um well we let's look at both of the uh, let's look at the market in chunks so if we look at bitcoin it doesn't have some of the altruism that I was really excited about when it started now this might just be a natural course of events anyways because Re regulation and control comes in because people do stupid things. It's, it's hard to imagine that people won't do stupid things. So therefore, regulation might just be a curse of people being fallible to some degree and all of us deciding that we need to regulate that. I don't know. It's, it's a hard, there's some, there's some difficulties in, in Bitcoin's altruism that I really liked about it when it was younger, about like un helping the unbanked and, and yeah. bringing access to financial services that, you know, people in R Rwanda don't have. Um, and to some degree, it does offer that still. It, it's just, it's at a point where it's turned into a money instead of a currency. And that's a, I think it's ultimately, this is probably the progression of where it was going to go anyways. It's that it became slower. It became a, a harder asset. It became, okay, well, I'm not going to use money for buying coffee. There's a difference, a distinct difference between currency and, and, and money. So I think it evolved into a money instead of a currency, which is I'm, I'm okay with. But what I, what I was really attracted to about Bitcoin in its earlier days was the altruism about helping the unbanked. So one of the big differences now is that that altruism has moved over into things like Ethereum, where Bitcoin is like kind of boring now. 
Like it doesn't do anything other than what it was like, what it was coded to do a while ago, which is great. It's reliable. It does what it's supposed to do. You can rely on it to be a store value. That's, but the exciting stuff, I mean, the altruistic stuff, which maybe again, turns into slower, harder dollar forms as, as we build it and it becomes, oh, this is corporate bonds in the blockchain, you know? But right now that's actually pretty exciting. Corporate bonds in the blockchain is pretty exciting. Um, you know, open open source hedge funds where you could like on your you could have an app on your phone and you could invest in in a big like a hedge fund you could own a small portion of it it's your to tokenized valuations where everybody can have access to it around the world and you don't have these discriminating laws and countries and um, and again, helping the underbanked, I think, is one of the important parts, because one of the reasons why the technology was so powerful is that because anyone can use it. You didn't you don't didn't need a bank account. Bitcoin was your bank. Right. So it, to, that solving that problem is actually a huge dilemma that we, that we have to overcome because there's some 40 to 50 percent of the world's intellectual capital is maybe still trying to farm. And what we need to do is we need to unlock, we need, I feel at least that what we should be doing is opening it up the resources and the ability for information to flow freely, for the access to these tools to flow freely so that we can have these other geniuses come online and help us figure shit out. <laughs> you know, there, there's like probably a few more Elon Musks hiding around the world and they're, they're farming. And, and you know, the, there's always a question of happier than like who's living a rich life, you know, but that, um, I, I think in, in general, with so many people on the planet, and there's a, a bunch that live in poverty below the line where they, they didn't grow up with um, identification. So what's changed is the altruism of what Bitcoin could be. And it's shifted from Bitcoin to the rest of the 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 technology thing, I, which again, I think makes, um, it's one of the reasons why I think Ethereum and kind of venture capital in investing in the sector is so interesting. Okay, well, Bitcoin's our money. We know that we can pretty much soundly invest in that at lows and take profits because the US dollar is not going anywhere. That military is very well armed. They are not, they don't, there's no stand down in the dollar. So that confidence is actually quite high. People don't reckon, there's a lot of, you know, to kind of argue against, and I try to make sense of this, excuse me for, I just go on long-winded rants. I love it, man. I love it. Keep going. I was having a conversation because, you know, we're talking about governments and, okay, people like governments. And when it's not until things kind of get a little chaotic that you, that you, when you're like, well, where are the police? Like, where are the, <laughs> who's going to deal with this? Like, this is, a, this is obviously a problem for society. Um, who's in charge of that right now? It's a difficult one because we as a society kind of off offload our our own personal responsibilities sometimes to groups or individuals so that we're not in charge of okay who's guilty you know I, um, and this is a weird part because it has violence as as an abstract to it right because the hu the human species can be violent right we we're so we're bridging from the United States dollar and the military that's involved but that military force helps keep a type of order within the world even if it's at a stalemate with other countries. That's um that uh, at one point or another we hit a point where we couldn't really fight each other like that anymore. So we're like all oh, like okay, and every and it's like everyone puts their guns down and and starts to be like okay, well we can't fight like that anymore. So they find new ways of inherently becoming violent. Now, depending on what country that you're in, this can be drastically different. Like if you can, there's sure there's countries you could go hire a hitman or something. It's probably not that expensive. So you're dealing with people's mental security. 
of can they go to work? Can they make money? Can they live with their family and things not go awry? So the, the dollar's value isn't necessarily based off of the military's might, but it's the, that force's might to keep order uh, in society itself. And then that's where the value comes from. Because again, so the abstraction between currency and money is, is really difficult. But one of the reasons why currency has been able to stay somewhat relatively stable is because these governments are keeping a type of visible order um, for the average individual. I mean, anyone I think that loves life knows that chaos is the fun part. Like the random is where all the good shit happens. But um, people are very attracted to uh, um, order and like, you know, I'm going to get my groceries and I've got a nine to five job and I pay my, I pay this bill and I get paid on this day. Anyways, most people are, are quite attracted to that type of living because it's, um, it provides a stability with considering we live in, in a lot of randomness, like a lot of this is pretty chaotic and random. So one of the reasons why currency has been able, and I think it can print a lot more. I think that they should print a lot more. I think that there's a massive lack of liquidity in the ecosystem right now. Um, I'm not as much against the, the printing of money so much or the printing of currency so much as I am against calling currency money. I guess that's a distinction. I think it's so important here. So, you know, Bitcoin, yeah, I, so sort of short, Bitcoin's kind of boring. That's what's changed. Bitcoin was the, the coolest evolution back in, in 2012, 2013, when it was like our own choice money. But as it lost the altruism and it's just big hedge funds buying hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin, it's lost the allure of, okay, well, we, we, we need the liquidity to go to the people that are, have it the worst. Because if, when, if the rest of the world goes awry, your security is very thin. <laughs> it's like, you know, I think America got an interesting, or the United States, excuse my um, vernacular there, but I think the United States had a taste of that with these protests and the riots. And I'm um, assuming that or order is is a is a, a right to some degree. You know, there's a lot of countries around the world that are not um, operating so smoothly. And, and that's a very valuable aspect of the US dollar's ability to continue to remain like a, it has a, I can trade this paper for something else. If it loses that now, the dollar could lose, I <laughs> could diminish very, very quickly. And one day it might, but I think for like for the mass adoption of when does this technology get to the place where everybody's using it, we're probably about 10, maybe 10, 15 years away mm -hmm. because the US dollar is likely going to turn into a US dollar stable coin and the federal reserve might kill commercial banking and go, Hey, uh, you know, like, I mean, the, the, I don't know how it works in Canada, but in, in the United States, the federal reserve basically creates uh, extra balance sheets for these banks when they've needed to be bailed out. So it doesn't literally print money. It gives them res more reserves so that they have liquidity in the back end, effectively. Um, so one of the things that people thought this would do was create a massive amount of inflation, but it, it actually hasn't. It's started to create deflation because inherently you have the technology wave coming through. But secondarily, you don't have that liquidity going out into the market. You don't have that, oh, we just created $3 trillion. It doesn't then go to Rwanda, right? So part of the problem is, is that every time there's more people born, the intellectual capital on the planet increases and the need for more liquidity on the planet would increase. You can't, you can't really have a currency that's not inflatable because every time you create, if someone creates something new, someone makes a new business, a new product, they're generating wealth, right? They're making the need for more uh, demand in dollars on, a, on an aggregate basis. So your currency, you don't, you don't want to uh, 
have a price volatility. You want to be able to to basically inflate it and keep it at like this um, imaginary one value um, because of the constant value add by 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 new intellectual capital. Um, so there's there's this kind of argument about why why Bitcoin is a, is a better money. Well, yeah, it it's scarce. It's liquid or it's very liquid it's very scarce and you can send it around the world with very little very little effort so it puts things like gold in the dust it destroys the swift banking system in terms of efficiency and that's just, i mean that's just one step but the whole the way the whole system is being built right now i think um it's almost like money like you've got money in the center it's like okay we we solved the money problem and now it's all the other financial and societal implications of what it means to build not our trust in a government um, or the government's trust in each other but the government uh, our trust in something that has to do kind of with with nobody to some degree or another where like the code is um, it doesn't discriminate I mean, if you make a mistake, you can write a dumb contract. Yes, and and you know, if you if you as a group decide that you want to roll things back, you can change the code. They're going into proof of stake and, and uh, for just you know security questions, I guess. But the point of this is, the rest of the financial system is going to be built outside and around of Bitcoin. So um, that all, all the 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 likelihood that we tokenize all assets like Tesla, right? These are value creations. These are the things that would make the, the dollar or having any value more, more, like more important. It's like, well, generally people want more money so that they can spend it or use it <laughs> or like have some type of tangible benefit of why they would want the, the capital. So if there's no, no products or services on the other side, the money's value decreases as well. So you've, you've got this, this weird relationship where money's um, value and now, if if Ethereum were to eat the stock market, or maybe it's Avalanche or something like this, or some of the other kind of layer layer one protocols that offer these types of solutions, but what happens if Ethereum ate the stock market? Does that mean it's worth more than Bitcoin? Because what's money worth without the products and services? Mm. It's this. There's these really weird um, philosophical questions about kind of what happens next over the next twenty years, and I think that if you for anyone that's interested in coding or development or tech, there is a, such a huge gap here that even getting your toes is wet is ultimately going to provide very fruitful because of how big the gap is. Technology is evolving so quickly that so few people have any idea how it works. So if you have even the slightest idea of how it works and you can explain that to someone else, mm. that's a, communicating an enormous amount of value. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, if, if you can understand what value is, if you can communicate it, you can very easily, I think, grasp this, this sector and, and what it means, um, even if it's not from a technical perspective. Um, I, I suggest everyone be interested in it because it's, this is a, the birth of a new internet. And it's been, even though it's, it takes a while to really catch on, like to get that network growth where it clicks overnight before you know it you'll be you'll be plugging in and you know youtube youtube maybe, maybe even youtube will have like an an underlying source where content creators have erc20 tokens and every time you watch a video the creator gives you a token and you can use that token on buying merchandise from their store because right now the evolution of, of money has changed like automated market makers the DeFi space is fascinating the whole what's around Bitcoin is maybe even more valuable than Bitcoin right. because of what it represents. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not smart enough to know, 
but it looks like at least maybe as valuable but because it's the rest of the financial sector. It could be the securitization of everything. Like, you know, what's the point of owning a house or a car in the future if you can just own a part of the whole entire housing pool? You're like, okay, well, the whole air, like, I think we become less and less attached to private property as we grow. And, you know, this is a lot of people like, oh, it's the agenda 2021. It's like, it just becomes easier and simpler for, uh, to have like larger scale distribution of, of, um, like if a Tesla can just come pick you up and then it can go about and make deliveries and pick up other people, why would I ever want a car sitting in my property for like day in, day out doing nothing productive? And I drive it once, twice a week. It's just such a deprecated asset. It's horrible. And, and I think the future of technology gets, yeah, gets us to that point where people don't recognize how quickly decentralization evolves to the point where you might not want to own anything. Like what's the point of owning a house if you could just put your house in the pool and now you can go stay in any house based off how much of the portion of the pool of housing you own. And maybe, anyways, I don't know. We get into some really interesting conversations about governance and, and how we build cities into the future too. So this technology is, is hyper fascinating and just at the very start. I mean, if it was just about money, like if it was just about Bitcoin, I don't think I would have stayed entertained. But the fact that... Um, the fact that you have such a broad perspective um, potential for for what this technology can do, I th yeah, I think everyone should 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 dip their toes in at, at least if they're like if you're if you're under the ages of like seventy five, like seventy maybe <laughs> right, maybe sixty five or like chunk of the population. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, because you're at, at around 65, 70, you should be going to that place where you're pretty much just meditating and chilling and like maybe making ice cream because you're bored or something. I don't know. But you shouldn't you shouldn't be working too hard at that point. Yeah. You should be on on to like growing long gray white hair. It's you should be having a good time chilling. Um but anyways the point um the point of that sentiment was if if you're under that <laughs> because the how rapidly these things are going to evolve, um yeah because there's going to be such a changeover in jobs too. People need to educate themselves as quickly as possible where the future is going to just to stay, to stay caught up with the, the waves that are here, I guess. Tio, I want to jump into, uh, I mean, when it comes to technical analysis, you have a great wealth of knowledge in that area. And one of the trajectories of our show is to help out those who are new to this space. So, you know, you've been talking about these cycles and that kind of thing, but just for somebody who's brand new, who's not clear where we are right now, I mean, there's a lot of hype in the space about it being a bull run, but what do you see that being, in your opinion, how long is this going to last? Uh, what things can we maybe ex expect from a technical analysis point of view? Um, well, Making conjecture about how high we would go with, um, so I'll just, I, I could pull up a chart, but I'll just keep it simple. Very likely we could go upwards of 160 to maybe $360,000. Um, that's a very real potential. Do we do that? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Right now we're in the very beginning of, or well, the very end parts of what's known as accumulation. So effectively, this is still a good time to be buying. And there'll probably be an even better time to be buying within the next few weeks where we drop down maybe to $13,000 to touch what's known as the 21-week moving average, um, as well as the top of our trading range, which was uh, effectively created between seven, around 13000 and 3000 at the bottom. Um, so after you break out of that accumulation range, it's pretty much just markup after markup after markup because there's no supply left. And the big whales, they already have a target in mind of what they would like to reach and when they start 
selling. Um, they're probably already distributing. So right now, because the price is so high, you have a lot of new additions to the market and retail is probably buying. Well, the people that bought in mass at 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, which is like a, you know almost a 100, 200% below us, <laughs> if on the upside, um, they're, they're risk adjusting their position. So market movements are made up in, in two segments. The whales accumulate at the bottom and they're the, they're the ones that start the markup because they accumulate all of the liquid supply. And then they usually let retail chew from them in small amounts all the way up so that they'll just drop out small bits and then get the price to rise up. So retail is effectively driving the price up through madness with very little supply. So you can always tell because in the early parts of accumulation, there's tons of supply. Whales are accumulating an enormous amount of it. And then as you go further and further into the bull market, the volume, uh, profile, the volume starts to decrease. So you can see if you're looking at a chart, if, if not um, the timing aspect, ooh, that's a little bit of a difficult one. Let's say if we go to the $160,000 mark uh, to $360,000 mark, potentially, you're looking at around nine to 18 months in cycle time, um, effectively. Now, we have to remember that there's the rest of the sector here that's also likely to see a bull market, um, but they're in different stages. So Bitcoin just finished in, in what we try, what we use called a SOS or a sign of strength. Uh, it looks like it's just finishing that. Um, so it will likely come back down, create a new trading range, probably till summertime. And then from summertime, you're going to see, or springtime, like March again, uh, pretty much when the pandemic started again a year later, um, you're going to see the second start to the, the actual bull market. So the bull market ha hasn't started yet. That's what we just had, this move up to 18,000 is called the sign of strength. And that's basically, oh, the bull market's here. Like we can, we can assume that the next phase of this is going to be uh, fairly monstrous. Even if it only goes to 80,000, let's say, that's a monstrous move from, from 14 to 18 to 80,000. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Um, so the... I guess the hardest part though is knowing to, okay, we'll just buy small amounts. I think most people get too concerned about buying at the right price and never do where the, the, the one of the best strategies for investing is just to keep, keep buying on a monthly basis and not think too much. And then if you ever have a point where there's like life changing wealth, you should be selling some of it and you should be changing your life. If you need what it paying off your bills or buying and whatever you would, whatever you wanted, because it usually comes down somewhere near there, not maybe exactly. And it might scare you a little bit, keep going up. And it's, again, remembering the markets are designed to try to take money away from you. They're designed to basically screw the average person over. Uh, you mentioned there, sorry to cut you off to you. mentioned that, <laughs> you mentioned that alts are kind of taking a different pattern. So what is the pattern? I, I know that's a tough question to answer, to blanket all alts in one conversation, but how just, is it different well, than Bitcoin? I would focus on the DeFi sector. Mm. That's um, from from this from the moment the DeFi sector started until these moments where it's turned around. It it's been the one that's created the most significant rebounds, uh, and and that to me is is uh, I think an extremely important part of investing and trading is to follow the market leaders and to go look. I, I'm not smart enough to technically know which one of these are the, which one is going to win. But you can very clearly see that the market is making an indication that these are strong because of the rebound that we get in the market. So I don't know what about Wi-Fi makes it so valuable. I can mean, I could come up with some 
fairly intelligent guesses. Whether I'm right or not is entirely unimportant. But the fact that the rebound on something like Wi-Fi it goes from six grand up to twenty-eight thousand uh, dollars, even though it's you know limited supply. That's why we're getting such an interesting price point. But um, that you get a two hundred fifty percent return from its selling climax, essentially. So these these automatic rallies to, uh, to some degree are so big that this is telling me that this the big money is interested in these ideas over what was the the alt sector was actually doing very well up until the DeFi sector came along, and then it really very quickly changed the um, inertia in everything else because I think DeFi um, not, DeFi is just a kind of a hype word, but what we're looking at is a new style of, it's almost like Ethereum figured out how to build the perfect fence around Bitcoin so that Bitcoin has all these other financial features into it as well. And and Ethereum too, effectively, but you can, like, you can basically wrap a Bitcoin in Ethereum and you can run it through all these other machines basically Um, so that that sector that made made bitcoin even more valuable is totally overlooked for the most part i don't think the big investors understand what DeFi is yet like i think there's a lot of big funds in this sector um that that don't that don't recognize it but i think there a lot of the really smart people do i think the the smartest people in this industry they recognize how valuable it is to have Bitcoin have a bunch of other financial features, right? The, the sending of, of value with a lot of security is great, but there's a, an enormous amount of, of value add from, from these new, yeah, the, again, the, the sell word is, is DeFi. It's just more applications for what we can do with this technology in the financial sector from loans and interest rates and, and trades like Uniswap. Um, like automate these automated market makers, the ba- balancer, these the way they. It's, it's fascinating to see because it opens up a whole new playing field of the way you could go and tr- um, use cryptocurrency. So now it doesn't really matter which one it is. You can use all of them almost at a like uh, at the drop of a hat. You can trade um, Ethereum for anything else effectively, and it just goes through this system of contracts and it will trade from one person to another. And none of them are communicating, and there's no central point of failure because it's not a company. It's just a protocol using contracts to trade things like a wrapped Bitcoin for an Ethereum for a bear token for a, whatever it might be effectively. So. That that level of um, fungibility, the ability to to trade digitally like that, is is so huge. That's an astronomical value add for Bitcoin, um, and in in likelihood, it will make Bitcoin simpler to some degree for other people that that want to use it because they won't have to. They can use whatever the they want and they'll be able to get away with using Bitcoin because that it's uh, the, the way the contracts are built around it. Now you can trade one thing for anything you like, Oh, I've got a uh, hundred thousand dirty socks token and it's worth 180 bucks. Well, guess what? You can trade your dirty socks token, your DST for Bitcoin. <laughs> right? The market doesn't care. Um, it, so that, that story to me is hugely valuable because again it brings back that altruism that originally attracted to me this sector it's uh funny though with with DeFi, it's been interesting hearing you talk about that because it really is and even going back to how with bitcoin you know you said earlier on how it's kind of boring like once you get in and once you start understanding uh what bitcoin is and then you and then you look into all these other uh tokens these other assets and what these other protocols do 
it's so much more interesting but that's only even when you like start learning about what they can do then you go and use them and it like it's like literally mind-blowing uh, like like for example i've gotten into uh trying out some of these uh, DeFi protocols and i'm by no means an expert but you just go experiment with some of them and it's it's almost this feeling of like of like wow like did i just do that because like for example here here's a here's a super simple example i went to um i went to ave and i deposited some of my ethereum and i decided hey i want to borrow some i want to borrow some crypto i deposited it i was able to then put that up as collateral within the platform and borrow uh, die and get back essentially US dollar value token stablecoin for what I just put up for collateral and I didn't have to talk to a banker it was on a weeknight at 10 p.m. when everything else in the world the financial sectors shut down and literally I just took out you know a, a loan and all I needed to put up was some collateral in return and it's crazy that I could literally take that money. And if I wanted to convert it back to fiat, I could do that too. And like, it's just crazy that you can do things like that now that are so enabling. Um, it, it's a wild, it's a wild world, DeFi, and everything that's available there right now. And it's working, right? Like, a lot of times when people hear about Bitcoin that aren't familiar, they think. They think, oh yeah, but like, wh what do you even do with it? Like Bitcoin, you know, it's, it's useless. It's just, it's, it's just this thing. It's a number on a, in a digital platform somewhere. And like, what does that mean for you? But it's like, when you get into uh, Bitcoin as sort of like the gateway drug, if you will, and then you work your way to DeFi and you work your way to some of these platforms that are actually like so real world applicable, it, th that's when your mind really gets blown, I think. Yeah, they... It, it's almost like you need the, the ecosystem, right? It, some people are sitting in the jungle looking at the tree being like, oh yeah, that tree is awesome. And then they've totally missed out how much value the mushrooms might be providing in comparison to the tree, which is just maybe at that moment shade. It's not even like a fruiting tree per, per se. Um, so I th what, what's, what's again, I think useful about that too is that a lot of it is still unidentified value. So those, that's what the best time to get in because the, the value of Bitcoin is being recognized, right? But Bitcoin, the best time to get in was before people recognized how valuable it was. And that's kind of where the DeFi sector is. A lot of people don't realize how valuable that is. Yeah, yeah. And you need the ecosystem. You need the shade providing tree for the mushrooms like prospectively, right? Now, the, the mushrooms, I think, are much more visionary than, than that tree might have been. Um, but what, what we can do with like the sushi tokens, what we can do with Wi-Fi, and again, what we can do because we have Bitcoin as a central point of collateral as well, a very highly trusted one, and Ethereum, and other versions, is uh, it really opens up this, again, that, that altruistic dream of, of what we could do with this stuff. And, and that, to me... Uh, yeah, um, yeah. The the real world value, the tangible value that that we can get into, hopefully, the hands of the many, and and I don't, and because it's undervalued, it's the best time to be paying attention to it when it's weird and everyone's like, oh, what what do I do with this? It's not Bitcoin. Perfect. 
You know, every everyone recognizes that Bitcoin's valuable now. We're like getting past the fun part. You know, ultimately it might become less and less fun. Maybe it only goes to eighty grand. When I I say that kind of like hawkishly, because again, I we've already gone over this really high, but it would be nothing like from six hundred to twenty thousand, right? Just in terms of uh, velocity. So maybe it becomes even more boring and it becomes more stable as a money. You know, ultimately it finds a, a value target. I mean, let's let's say it goes to a million dollars and it finds stability there. That means there's a lot of volatility between here and there still too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of change. Maybe it gets superseded. I, I would be unlikely. I think Bitcoin will stay our money mm -hmm. because it just does that one thing. Great, it holds value. It holds value. It's expensive to move. It's kind of boring. Like you know, it's like, Calm. and then the rest of the fun stuff. Yeah. We can build lending asset management tools around the collateral, yeah. um, and and those things are just as valuable as the collateral to begin with. And it's a self, uh, it's a feedback loop. It's an internal feedback loop. You know, the other reason I think why Bitcoin is is also having its run is because there's a lot of these other assets will continue to help increase the value of what Bitcoin can do, because Bitcoin just sits as the money. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of kind of um, separatism or something. But uh, I I'm a big proponent in just staying humble for the most part. I mean, you want to be cocky enough to think that you've got it right once you've got it right. So that way you can actually invest when everyone else thinks you're wrong. Cause that's always the hardest thing to do. Uh, so you got to be a little cocky to get that, that part right. But um, humble enough to know that you don't know and that you keep researching and you keep studying because right, right now, because there's so much going on, the, one of the best ways to, um, yeah, one of the, one of the best ways to is just to show up. You you just show up right now, and like you said, you you're trading in and out of Ave for loaning money. That experience is worth more than any money. Yeah. I tell you that right now. And for people that are out there, just go have that experience because it's worth more than the money that you'd spend, even if you lost it on that. Because once you know what this means, you you're, you start to put a lot more time into understanding it because it's a it's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tio, this has been awesome. I mean, I just love listening to you and you take us on a ride with your conversation. It's just, it's so interesting. But we love to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with a little three question segment, which we call You Had Me at Crypto. So I'll uh, fire away those questions. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, who's the most interesting to follow? You know, I, I don't necessarily have an, have an answer for that. Um, lately, I've, I've started to follow people like Vitalik more closely so that what I do is uh, when I'm interested in something, I'll, I'll put the notify me about everything. So there's a few people right now that are working on Ethereum 2.0 that I have like notify me of every tweet that they make. And it's all very technical. So I, for me, I would say right now I'm kind of following Vitalik just because I'm really interested on how this transition of Ethereum 2.0 goes. <laughs> but Everybody it's not because it's know. it's not that some of his tweets aren't that interesting. It's very technical. Like you, you got to be into what he's talking about. Otherwise, you're like, what is this? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> and Vitalik's uh, notorious in the world of crypto. But for those who don't know, remember our viewers here are maybe just uh, entering the world of crypto. He's a co-founder of Ethereum. Uh, he leads Ethereum. And uh, he's a very smart and interesting person. And Canadian. True. True. Yes. Russian Canadian, Russian -Canadian I believe. Canadian. Russian Canadian, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
Awesome. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? Oh, you know, this is a really interesting one because let's say it could be worth a million dollars and it could be worth nothing. Those are the, those are the two options effectively for ten, like 10-ish years from now. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with the reason why I think maybe nothing um, because I'm altruistic. I, I have a, a hope that we get to a point where we're so good at creating energy that the need for like storing value and money kind of dissipates and we can just, we can provide everything for almost free. So I have, I have a, like a, an altruistic dream that we get to a point where um, the way we understand money and value today is completely reshaped and they become nothing but tokens of gratitude. Um, anyways. I'm uh, more cynical. I feel that humans are too greedy for that to ever happen, <laughs> but maybe. You got a dream, right? You got to have something to yeah, dream about. Totally. <laughs> um, what is the most underrated coin or project in crypto? The easiest way to play that one would go to, to say, um, like if you're technical, you can just play the entire, like you can play a pack of coin, like you have the DeFi perpetuals on FTX or something like that. So maybe the DeFi sector in general and some of the things that come out of the DeFi sector, like uh, we, I've had a short little calls with companies like Maple.Finance, um, Bondly, uh, DHedge. Um, I have friends that are trying to show, show, like Roll, the company that helped me uh, with the bear token, et cetera. Some of these new web 3.0 companies, um, they could be out of the park grand slams because we just don't know what they're going to create. And we don't know what that value add would bring. So the most undervalued one is one I've probably never heard of and maybe doesn't even exist yet. And that's the fun part about this sector is we don't actually, we might not even know yet. Some of the most valuable stuff might not have been created yet. <laughs> means three weeks from now we could see it and we could get a like a, like you could have an epiphany with some of this technology because it's still we're still so early yeah no doubt well that's awesome Tio. thanks so much for for taking the time to to chat with Alf and i this has been a, a super interesting conversation and and we really appreciate it great it was a pleasure to chat with you guys thanks for letting me rant and uh i'll i'll be sure to share the video guys remember to like comment leave subscribe all that fun stuff uh, yeah. <laughs> hey there we way, go way to put it in yeah awesome <laughs> all right thanks, take care to you Thank you for listening to Show Me The Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.